Built Not Born, episode 18. I'm Joe Chicarone. Thank you for joining us. Built Not Born is the podcast where each episode we interview everyday people living remarkable lives. Our guests have made their impact from the boardroom to the battlefield, from the jujitsu mat to the field of medicine. Today's guest is Barry Butler. Barry Butler is an internationally published landscape photographer. Known as Chicago's picture poet, Barry Butler's remarkable photographs have appeared everywhere from television, books, billboards, to album covers of rock bands. His images have been featured on the Weather Channel, CNN, and every local news affiliate in the city of Chicago. The Huffington Post has even recognized Barry's work as tops in Chicago photography. Born in Ireland, Barry Butler immigrated to Chicago as a child with his parents in search of a better life. Barry describes his life as a series of turning negatives into positives. A self-taught photographer, Barry picked up a camera after breaking his collarbone playing ice hockey to stay active while he recovered. Barry started taking images of the city of Chicago to practice his new hobby. Then he started to post them on social media where he soon started drawing local, national, then international attention. It's not uncommon for Barry to post a photo on Facebook or Instagram and it received thousands of likes and hundreds of comments in only a few hours. Barry and I discuss what it was like to immigrate to the United States, how a series of negative events has led to positive outcomes throughout his life, and why his late father is still his hero. Barry shares how he starts each day two hours before sunrise and why the Chicago winters, sometimes negative 50 degrees below zero, no thank you, are his favorite time of year. Barry shares some tips on how the average person can take professional looking pictures. We also get into some serious, deep life questions like who was the better front man for Van Halen, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar, the book that most inspires him and how photography like life, is all about persistence and creativity. So, thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Barry Butler, amazing landscape photographer and author of the book, Chicago, A City Above All. And remember, life is built not born. Barry Butler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? I'm sure there's a lot of people who are not familiar with my work, so that's okay. Who I am, I think, Joe, I think I'm still trying to figure that out. Now, what I do, that's a different story. I can tell you what I do. I am a self-taught landscape photographer. My canvas that's in front of me every day is the uh, Chicago area. At least once a day, I'm out taking photos of the city. It's a full-blown business. It's a business that where I sell prints, I sell books, calendars, now jigsaw puzzles, and uh, I license images of Chicago. Some, I used to do some teaching, so it's a great way to start the day, and I live in a great city. Um, and a pretty city at that. Photographically, it's great to shoot. But uh, the funny thing is, when people think of landscape photography, they're thinking of mountains and waterfalls and wide vistas. And 
that's really how I started. And the Chicago thing just evolved. Where has some of your work been seen? Man, it's all over the place, to be honest with you. And I'm not trying to brag. In fact, it's actually weird for me to talk about myself. I've seen the guests that you've had uh, on your, your show here. And I will lower the bar. I'll do my best to make sure that this is a good thing for people to listen to. My work has been, it's been all over uh, the the country, uh, at times all over the world. I've been on Weather Channel doing some pieces on Weather Channel as it relates to lightning photography and winter photography, which Chicago has some interesting. Most of the TV stations in this town use my work for their social media. I've done billboards. I've done album covers. I've done books. I've done my own book. So it really runs the gamut. Uh, if you walk down Chicago right now, down the, the main downtown street, which is Michigan Avenue, You'll see my work on advertising for some of the, the cruise ships that are in Chicago that tour the river and, and the uh, and the lake. My stuff is all over the place, so which is, to be quite frank, I'm shocked. But it's, it's amazing how it's all developed. I want to get into all that, how you got started in photography, a little bit of Van Halen, a little bit of <laughs> NHL, a little bit of the okay, NHL. Okay, now we're talking things I'll talk about like the forever. <laughs> A little bit of NHL. We might have to touch on the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs, which I don't think we're still over yet here in Florida. <laughs> but I want to go all the way back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? I was born in Ireland. So I'm uh, not from the U.S. And I was born in a small town in the southeast portion of Ireland. And I had an interesting beginning because Wexford being where it was and most of the hospitals in Ireland uh, were in Dublin at the time because they now built some motorways in, in Ireland. But at the time, it took you about two and a half hours to get to get to Dublin for where from where I was born. And uh, because of that, my mom had some challenges with uh, a previous pregnancy that the doctors recommended that she limit her travel. So all of a sudden, I decided to knock on the door and say, I want to get out. And uh, so I was born in a nursing home and my crib was a drawer with blankets in it. As far as I'm concerned, the way I started, it could only get better after that. But when we came to the States, because my father didn't feel there was a, much of a future in Ireland, there was a lot of economic problems in Ireland. And there were for many years after that, only probably in the last 20 some odd years did Ireland really have some news when it came to their economy. So my dad said, let's go to Chicago. <laughs> And it was pretty amazing because my dad was, is, uh, or was, and he's now passed. He is the youngest of eight. And usually your youngest doesn't do what he did because everyone basically stayed in, in Ireland and Wexford. So it was a bold move to take me and my mom over here and with no promises. And he just made it happen. And before I, I, I have a Chicago accent and, and I live and breathe uh, this town, I think it's such an amazing town. And then, you know, we made it work amazingly. But yeah, it's uh, this is uh, this is where I live. Ireland is home. Everyone is back there. I usually get back there twice a year. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, I haven't been back in over a year and a half, but I am going in a month. Please God. Because <laughs> anything could happen. It just seems like uh, things change on a regular basis. Looking forward to seeing family and familiar surroundings. I've been very fortunate over my lifespan is that I've been in well over 50 countries. I have a huge appreciation for the world and met incredible people. So far, so good, but I'm still trying to figure out who I am. What made your dad pick Chicago of all the places to move in the United States? How do you think you landed there? You know, th that's a great question. I, I think it was just that he felt that there was opportunities here. That was really about it. There was also someone in the family that had a connection here. That helped. But yeah, it's just amazing that we he picked this place in, in, in the United States to be here. Very fortunate that he picked Chicago. 
No offense to Philadelphia. (laughs) Take us back to, say, your family dinner table, say, when you were 10 years old. Who was there? What was going on? When I was 10, because I have two younger brothers. They're Yanks. They were born here. When I was 10 years old, life was pretty simple. And being the eldest of a uh, foreign-born family, there were a lot of restrictions. Didn't have a lot of experiences as a kid that most people do because my parents were always worried. But I played a lot of baseball, played a lot of hockey, played a lot of sports. And and then my father was, uh, was big in music. Uh, my dad was a big singer. So uh, my dad worked in the car business during the week and on the weekends, He was out singing in bands, always saw someone who worked very hard to make things happen. And my mom uh, stayed home and took care of us. What's the most vivid or powerful memory of your childhood? And the reason why I laugh is what I just shared with you coming from Ireland. So uh, I got into baseball and there was a father-son game. My dad got a chance to play baseball for the first time in his life. He got up the bat and he knocked the crap out of the ball. Now... (laughs) Keep in mind, in Ireland, they have hurling. I don't know if you've ever seen hurling before, which is really, when it comes to hockey, is my favorite sport. Hurling is like close second. But to get up and hit a ball with a wooden thing, it was not certainly foreign to him. And he just cranked it. And I still, to this day, have never lost out of my mind seeing my dad running around the bases and hit a home run. <laughs> just wow. amazing. Yeah, my, my dad was a, a very talented man, a great singer, a, a good athlete, and, and then just a, a wonderful human being. Who was your biggest influence to you when you were a kid? Oh, my dad. Yeah. Uh, because he came from nothing, had no promises, and just found a way to make it work. And he was yeah. a hardworking man, dedicated man, Still this day, things go in my head that I always try to remember that he did. That's my guy. That's my hero. Thank you for sharing that. So you graduate high school, you're in college age. What happens? It leads to the photography story. In my life, there's always been some very interesting pivoting moments. The first one I shared was us moving to the United States. The next one was in high school. So I was hoping that I would play baseball in college. In my senior year, literally days before our opening day, I'm homesick. One of my buddies uh, decides to come over and And as he's leaving, we're having some fun. My hand goes through a window and severs the nerves and tendons in my throwing hand. That was going to kind of end it for any possibility of playing baseball. While I was in the hospital that week, after thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be going to college and had all these ideas. Well, now I'm I'm not going to be having a chance to go play baseball. So what am I going to do? And I'm like, I like talking. So I ended up going into the radio business and it was a decision based on my hand going through a window. There have been a lot of moments in my life where, and it's funny because photography is always negative, positive. I've had negative situations that just pivoted and, and they eventually turned into positive. Even my photography work, what's funny is bad things are great for photography. Again, turning a negative into uh, something positive. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Ryan Holiday. He's an author who talks about ancient wisdom for the modern world. And he has a book called The Obstacle is the Way. He talks about what stands in front of you becomes the new way. What stands in the way becomes the way. And how the hand going through the window or some sort of bad weather, like that brings about opportunity that wouldn't happen unless that obstacle was there. Yeah, I got into photography because I ended up breaking my collarbone playing hockey. And really? I couldn't do anything for eight months. I couldn't drive for three months. I always had a somewhat of an interest in photography. And because I only had one arm to work with, I decided to teach myself photography. I bought myself a tripod and just 
let it rip from there. Again, taking a negative turn into a positive. So before we get into photography, tell us about that hockey game. So what position are you playing on the ice? Those days I was playing uh, wing. As I got older, played a little bit more D. <laughs> I just didn't feel like going up and down the ice constantly. Did you get checked or how did you break your collarbone? I got taken. I was on a breakaway. It was a classic case of playing with guys that are way too young who all think they're going to be going in the NHL. The guy decides to take me out. The rest is history. I ended up falling weird and broke my collarbone. I heard it break. I knew I was in trouble. Uh I didn't know how bad it was. That was not a fun moment. I would never wish a broken collarbone on my worst enemy. So you break your collarbones. How soon did you start photography? It it wasn't too long after that. It was probably a few weeks after I did it. It was just like, okay, I'm an active person. I love playing sports. I had kids, young kids at the time. And uh, so I'm always doing something. And now I'm like, wow, I I can't do anything. I can't even drive for three months. It was just like, I got to do something. I always had an interest in photography. I used to sneak cameras into concerts to take photos. It was was an inspiration for me photographically. Uh, Back then and still to this day, it was uh, concert photography. Not that I really, I've done it, but it's really, you know, not my forte. So I'm like, hey, I'll try to learn a few, a a little bit here and there. And then I just started Taking photographs of going going to Ireland in particular, I took a lot of photography there. And then, then the Chicago stuff developed because of social media. Can you remember the first time you took a photo and you're like, this could be a viable business? And this is a guy's honest truth. I am still shocked that people like my stuff. There was never a moment I've been kicked in the rear end many times to keep pushing. When I started doing photography, how it evolved in the business was because of Chicago and social media. What I like to do is I like to take photographs around Chicago. So when I went to Ireland or the Yosemite or the Grand Tetons, I was ready to go. You know, like if you haven't done something in a while, you're always fumbling. You're not really on a rhythm. And I always liked being on a rhythm. So I would shoot around here and okay, my gear's ready. I'm feeling good. My systems are ready to go. Because of social media, just regular old Facebook, I was posting them like, hey, I was out at Fullerton Avenue today in Chicago. And oh, what a nice morning. And people would be like, I like that. I'm like, oh, pictures of a city. Wait till I show when I'm in, you know, Wyoming, what beauty is all about. This happened often. And I'm like, wow, people are like in my Chicago stuff, I never in my wildest dreams would think people would find a city attractive. As I was taking more photographs, I was starting to fall in love with Chicago photographically. Then it just organically started. I started just posting them. And then uh, a close friend of mine said, hey, why don't you just post those stuff outside of your own Facebook? Put it on Twitter and put it on other things. I started doing that and television stations, media outlets, started recognizing my work. They were reposting. It just snowballed from there. It was pretty amazing. There's times where you would post a photo. It's not uncommon. In a few hours, thousands of people have liked that photo. It's pretty crazy. Self-taught photographer. So never took a class? No. Wow. So tell me, how do you self-teach yourself (laughs) Like the filters, the lenses, like how long did that take? You see some books over here. Uh, I would pick up a lot of magazines and read a lot of books. And back when I was starting, I, it was film. It wasn't like today where you take a photograph and delete, you know, or you get immediate feedback. It was back in the days you take a, you know, photo with film and then you'd have to bring it to the local Photoshop and you'd wait a week and eventually get them. And you're like, oh my God, I just spent $15 for this. Mm-hmm. Wow, sure, yeah. bunch of crap yeah. I just did. So 
it forced you to learn how to do it right because it got real expensive when you're constantly messing it up. And that's one of the advantages now for me with digital, whereas most people will sit on a computer, they do all this changing of the colors or they add things to a photograph. I mean, we'll just go out and okay, this is how it is right now. This is what Chicago looks like or wherever I'm at. Is it like absolutely perfect? Is it always dramatic? No, because I'm showing what I just saw myself. It's a, you know, a classic example of you fail many times and you learn. I think you know, with anything, that's usually the best way that you learn is that you don't do well by succeeding. You do well by a lot of failures. So I don't mind taking risks. I don't mind failing a lot of times because eventually I'll be okay. What's an average day look like for you for shooting? What time are you up? I know it's pretty crazy. I usually get up and I can get up. I get rolling an hour and a half before sunrise every day. It's not bad in the winter when it's, you know, 720, the sun comes up in Chicago. It's a little rough at, in the summer when it's 515 in June. So you do a little math there. It gets a little early, a little crazy. Right now, I'm actually working on a project for someone that kind of requires me to start even earlier because they're needing some uh, a nighttime image. And that's what I'll do a lot of projects for people, for companies or whomever. And uh, so my Day is starting a little or even earlier than that. It's about two and a half hours before sunrise. And uh, shoot as long as I can and come back, pop on this computer here, put my card in, scan the photos, which one I like, and then post away. And so that's it for the morning. Then later on, I'm usually shooting the, the sunset. But like tonight in Chicago, we have some storms. It's very possible I could be shooting to one o'clock tonight, chasing the storms here in Chicago. I love shooting lightning. Weekends, there are a lot of events. Just this past weekend in Chicago, we had the Blue Angels here. I was shooting most of the day on Friday, a good portion on Saturday and a good portion on Sunday. The weekend before that, I was shooting the uh, the race to Mackinac. So I'm out on a boat four, four miles out into the lake, uh, shooting the boats, racing from Chicago. You're being a little humble there when you're talking, you shoot the Blue Angels. From what I've seen, you're actually in an Air Force plane <laughs> Two years ago, the, the last air show we had, yes, I was, I followed the Thunderbirds. They put me in their refueling jet. And uh, so I was out the back as the planes were coming up and getting fuel 10,000 feet up, yeah. shooting them. And then they're sitting outside the side window and everything. It was an amazing experience. Those pictures and, are uh, phenomenal. I saw a few of them on your website. You're shooting down with them getting refueled. You said yes. 10,000 feet in the air. You're in the air, another Air Force plane. That's, you're in the refueler plane, maybe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And next to the guy who is filling up. So he's a gas station attendant. Just He doesn't have the, the beef jerkies uh, next to him for, for the pilots to pick up. No snacks. There's no, no, no snacks. snacks. Yeah, yeah. Throw, throw in the Doritos. Like, no, no beer. How do you get invited to the Air Force's refueling jet? How's that come about? So that's a pretty big call. <laughs> You know, Joe, I got to be honest with you. There, there are times I'm like, I can't believe sitting where I'm at, sitting at times. The people that have invited me are people who are following me. In that case there, uh, the city of Chicago, which is in charge of the, the Chicago Air and Water Show, had recommended me to, as part of the uh, the press, to, to shoot the, uh, the Thunderbirds while they're up. Their Department of Cultural Events had a lot to do with that. Then there are times where... Someone calls up and says, hey, listen, I have access to 80 floors up over the city in this one building. Would you, would you like to come and 
shoot out of there? <laughs> or you want to come on top of our rooftop? We're about 50 uh, floors up. It really is amazing how my work has created a lot of access to things and some really neat experiences. I saw some really neat Van Halen concert <laughs> photos. Tell us about that. Van Halen is my favorite band. It's not even a question. I've seen all the tours except for the first one. Uh, you remember I was telling you about that restrictive family? Yeah. A quick story. So I had tickets for the first time Van Halen was coming through Chicago, but I decided at my second concert ever to bring along my dad. Oh, that's the alarms. Hold on. Let me turn this oh, off here. Take it down. That's the National Weather Service. I, I, I get alerts when uh, lightning, tornadoes. and So being in a restrictive family, one of the moments that just is painful is I had tickets for the first time Van Halen was coming through here in Chicago in their first tour ever. I decided a concert before that to say to my dad, who loved music, to join me. And that concert was Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent likes to swear a lot. Yeah. And the audience likes to do a lot of things that my dad did not appreciate at all. We came out of that concert, we're driving home. I'm like 14, 16, something like that. And he goes, no more concerts. We'll buy you the albums. You, you, you are not to go in that environment. So it pains me still to say I never saw the first Van Halen tour, but I saw every other one uh, after that. And, and actually, the, one of the first times I snuck a camera into a concert was a Van Halen show. And it was uh, during the 81 tour. So that was fair warning, got it into the international amphitheater. And at that time, all I knew was program. I now call that panic if you use the P button on a camera, but yeah, I had on program and I'm like, took some photos. You know, it was a great memory. I got some, you know, great shots of greatest guitarists who ever lived. Just an amazing talent. Why I had an interest in photography and specifically Concert photography is that you capture a moment that can't be replicated. If you ever watch a band, rarely, maybe with the exception of a Kiss, a Kiss does the same thing almost every show. But at most bands, it's not really rehearsed, and there's a lot of impromptu things. So catching that moment, that emotion, and that's what I try to do with my photography to have a moment that, like, boy, you can't do that again. Yeah, that's how it all started. But the Van Halen special, I was actually thinking about it today. I think the only time I've ever cried about a celebrity is when Eddie died. Because like that guy just meant the world to me. I, I thought he just had so much talent. So I see you have that autographed Van Halen album behind you. What's the story there? How'd that come about? Yeah, I've met Eddie and, and the band a couple of times. And that time, uh, a friend of mine who is actually, he's on that Pawn Stars show. Steve Grad is his name. Okay. And he's always been a big autograph collector. So he knew where all the people were going and so on and so forth. And he said, listen, need you, if you want to meet Eddie, go to the Ritz Hyatt um, at whatever time and he'll be in the lobby. Okay. And I'm like, okay, this will be interesting. So lo and behold, I get there five minutes later, here comes Eddie. Really? And I asked him to sign it and he couldn't have been nicer. And then not too long after that, here comes Sammy Hagar, here comes Michael Anthony, and then eventually Alex. And so I got them all four to sign it. When you take a photo, at the moment you nailed it, or do you have to go back and look at it on the computer just to see what you got? Like when you take a shot- Oh, I know I nailed it. You know you yeah. nailed it? How so? Yes. So I, all my shots are planned. I don't like to show up at a place and say, boy, I hope it really is nice. Mm. I do a lot of scouting. I watch the weather patterns. So I have a pretty good idea what it's going to look like by the time I shoot. And then I'm waiting for that moment. 
Now I'll shoot because I'll keep shooting and shooting because there's you're just standing there. I'm always uh, waiting for that moment. And it's great when you get it. You high five yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always have to remind myself, it, don't go home. Keep shooting because you might find something else. Because there have been many times where I have gotten the shot that I expected. And I'm like, okay, time to go. And as I'm leaving, I'm like, oh, my God, why didn't I stay? Why did I just pack up my tripod? Patience is sometimes my best asset and my worst asset because normally I'm patient to do what I want. But then once I've accomplished it, I'm like, want to move on. I think if I'm a little bit more patient, I would have some other results of some some things. No, it makes sense. So when you're you set up, you're like on a stakeout, you're sitting there, you're there really early in the morning, you're there through bad weather. What's the funniest thing you ever came across on your little camera stakeouts? Are you saying I'm stalking Chicago? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> stalking the buildings, the sunrise, with some of the crazy stuff you, you see. Know, you see a lot of things uh, besides drunk people. I think one of the more interesting moments, I was out at the Adler Planetarium. Have you ever seen a, a wide shot of Chicago, the whole skyline from the lake? It's typically from this Adler Planetarium. I was out there and for some reason, the, the lake was still. It was mirror, great reflections. There were tons of geese on the water. They were making a great foreground for my shot. So I'm setting up, making sure my lighting is great, maybe throw on a polarizer filter. I'm sitting there and it's just so calm and the the geese are real close, great foreground. And then this beautiful city in the back, I'm shooting. And then out of nowhere, I'm like, tons of noise. Mind you, this is in the summer, 5.30 in the morning. Out of nowhere, there's a jet ski. So I have this shot with the geese are just sitting there and then there's a jet ski ripping through the back of my shot. I just, when I think I have energy for things. <laughs> so, someone going to work at 5.30 in the morning on a jet ski. That's pretty cool. Let me, uh, let me turn off this alarm again. Oh yeah, yeah sure. Sorry about that alarm. I uh, was w- moving one of my sons to Oregon. He, he's, he now works for Nike. And my other son stayed at my place to watch our, my dogs. My dogs are, except in a helicopter, my dogs are with me out on my shoots. And uh, I had forgotten that I had all the weather alarms hooked up here. In the middle of the night, there was a storm and everything just started going. And he was like, what the hell is going on? You know, he thought something, <laughs> I get a phone call. Hey, dad, <laughs> That's what crazy. the hell's going on? What are some of your favorite spots of the shoot in Chicago? I did have a, f- a, a favorite spot, but it's changed. And actually there's a photo that I've taken. It's in the fall time of autumn of Chicago and gentlemen sitting on a bench, city in the background, fall colors. And that's Fullerton Avenue. It's on the beach. It's just a, an area along the lakeshore. That was my favorite spot for many years because it had a lot of character. Really enjoyed shooting there. But the, as time goes on, people want to make things nice and clean and all neat for everyone. They've changed that spot. But these days, I, I like sh- shooting from the south end of the lake in the Hyde Park area of Chicago. I, mm-hmm. I think there's some pretty spots as you go uh, looking north. You can't beat a helicopter shot. I love being high up over the city and timing my photos accordingly. Doors are off. Got a harness on, hang out the window, out the door and shoot away. I'm always looking for things that you can't replicate. From the air, at times you can do that. One of the shots that I think that you're mentioning, that fall in that category, you call it up periscope, where you had like- <laughs> Well, that one, I'm on, I was on top of Sears Tower. 
Describe that photo really stuck out looking at your collection. Yeah, I'm always watching the weather. We had fog coming through the city of Chicago. Fog can happen at any time of the year here. And pretty much between like April and August, we get a lot of it. Believe it or not, this is not San Francisco, but we get it because of the humidity and the lake. One day I'm just looking and it's completely gray if you're on the ground. I said, I got a feeling. I got a feeling that if I get on top of Sears Tower, which is 103 floors up, I might be able to get a unique view here of two of the buildings in Chicago sticking through the fog. I get up there and I'm like, oh my God, I couldn't have guessed this one any better. And I took that shot and then the rest is history. It looks like you're in an ocean and two submarines put their yeah. periscopes up. Yeah. One other picture really caught my attention. You call it collision course where <laughs> it's, uh, it might be the Hancock building, a rainbow and lightning hitting it at the same time. Phenomenal picture. I was blown away by it. I love shooting lightning. I think it's just so much fun. Again, lightning in the air is never the same. It's something you can't duplicate. I mean, you can't replicate it again. Uh, this was actually last year. It was during the pandemic when I shot that. And we had a storm come through and, the, and out of every negative, there's a positive. You get the storm, but also you get rainbows, especially if the sun is in the right spot. I see the rainbow by the Hancock and I'm like, there's still electricity in the air. I'm just going to wait. I feel like this is all going to work out. So I just hyper-focused on the on the Hancock and just waited and waited. Just as that rainbow was still sitting there, boom, a lightning bolt ends up hitting the Hancock antennas. That's one of the nice things about the antennas here. So you got, you got the Hancock, you got the Trump Hotel, you have Sears Tower that have antennas. That is just target practice for, for God and lightning. I'm always trying to get that type of a shot. So I, I, I got it. And yeah, so here you have lightning and rainbow all at the same time in the same spot. I don't think I could ever do that again. That's, that's a special photo. Hey, but it's all patience. That's a, and that's the thing. Patience is important. So that shot wouldn't have happened if I just didn't wait. Patience. Yeah, yeah. Photography and in life. One other one really caught my attention. One of the reasons why I think I would probably never live, even though Philly's got some cold winters, the polar vortex aerial, <laughs> that looks like the North Pole. Like, talk about yes. that one. I thought that one was remarkable. So most people wouldn't say this, but my favorite season is winter. Okay. And that's because the landscape constantly changes. So you have ice, you have snow. Every day it looks a little bit differently. But we had the polar vortex here. That was January 2019. And at one point it was minus 55 degrees with wind chill. It was wickedly cold, but I loved it. So I shot along the lake. This lake was all steaming. And so that was cool. And later on the day, I called the helicopter company I work with. And I just said, hey, listen, it's going to get a little bit warmer. <laughs> it was like minus 20 at that point. <laughs> sure, said, please. Do, you think, do you think we can get the helicopter up? I think we can get some neat shots. So lo and behold, getting the helicopter, the doors were off. <laughs> My poor pilot. The only thing I could see on him were his eyes. Everything else was completely wrapped. I felt bad for him, but it's a good sport. Yeah, shooting above and the lake, it gets interesting when it freezes over and the city had snow on it. Winter is my favorite time to shoot. Uh, second is, is fall, then spring and summer I don't like at all. One of the interviews the local ABC station did on you, you said you look for the sevens when you shoot. <laughs> yes. So tell me about that. When I shared that, the, uh, the cameraman from it was WGN TV his eyes crossed what the hell did this guy talk about I, I just I frame things that way I'm, I'm always looking for sevens it's the leading lines to where I want someone's eyes to go in a photograph most of my 
imagery, you'll see sevens in them. If I you know, pull up a photograph, I can sit there and say, okay, there's a seven, there's a seven. And the more sevens I see, the more dangerous I become with a camera. I do get bored when I don't see anything. There's, there are standard ways of composing a photograph. One of them is the rule of thirds. There's a bunch of lines. That doesn't help me. I think it makes my photographs look boring if I follow that rule. I started to say, okay, what works for me? I just noticed it in my photographs when I was taking, like the ones I liked that's what I was seeing. And then I was realizing that's what also I was seeing when I was setting up my composition. No matter if I'm walking, I'm driving, I'm always looking for sevens all over the place. It's a little weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it, for my you know, mind, it does. It does. Cause a few months back, I read Walter Isaacson's biography on Leonardo da Vinci. And okay. da Vinci, when he painted, he looked for the triangles. And oh, okay. everything, he, everything in da Vinci's painting is triangles. Mona Lisa, Madonna on the rocks. All the great paintings they have in the Louvre of Da Vinci, everything's a triangle. That totally makes sense. Da Vinci goes for the triangles. Oh, that's pretty that's cool. Well, a little bit of different talent, though. <laughs> but the same principle. Here, here's Da Vinci, <laughs> and I'm like below the floor here, okay? But the, the principles are there. It's the same principle. It's pretty cool. Could you share some tips for the amateur photographer? Is there any possible way to up your game with an iPhone, your basic iPhone? Yeah, tool? yeah. All right, so... It's so simple. All right. Here, here's the first thing ever. And it doesn't matter what you do, which is whether you do something, you shoot something, you play something, do the things you enjoy, the things that you love. I think what's very interesting to me when I talk to people and especially about photography, they're like, you know, I want to get into landscape photography. I'm like, well, why? What do you like shooting? Well, I really like shooting flowers. I really start shooting, doing photographs of animals. I'm like, well, why don't you do that? Because your work will represent that instead of trying to be something you're not. I don't feel I'm a good portrait photographer. So guess what? Uh, or I'm not really interested in portrait photography. Mm-hmm. So I don't do portrait photography. Mm-hmm. Um, I shoot the things I love. And I, so I love Ireland. I love Chicago. So I shoot those type of things. So the first thing is shoot the stuff that you love. The iPhone, I can't speak for the other models out there, but I'll tell you that the cameras in these things are real good. I've actually taken photographs of things and made money on photographs with an iPhone. Now, It is limiting, but the good thing about it is it allows you to compose. Now, here's the thing, whether it's an iPhone or today's technology with cameras, the technology is so good, you could teach someone how to use a camera with an hour. That's not the important part. The important part is the composition. That's the difference always between an amateur and a professional photographer. I was watching a a thing on TikTok uh, a couple of weeks ago, and John Mayer was uh, playing. He was in a hotel, and there was like a high school rock band playing. And this guy had some cheap old guitar. John Mayer got up there and sounded like John Mayer with his $3,000, $4,000 guitar. But he was using some kid's $200 guitar and $100 amp, and it sounded like John Mayer. Mm-hmm. So it's not the gear. And that's where I think everyone makes the biggest mistake. If I get a good camera, then I'm going to take good photos. No, that doesn't happen. You can take great photos with a crappy camera. So the best thing, my advice is get the cheapest camera that you can get, get a used camera. It's even better. And once you start using it, you start realizing the things that you need. And then you start adding on. But the biggest mistake is someone spends thousands of dollars on gear. They get pretty disappointed that their photographs don't look any different than maybe what they took on an iPhone. I use my iPhone for compositions often. 
When you so, say uh, compositions, what do you mean by that? I'll uh, get to a spot. I put my camera on my tripod. I, always, I usually have my camera on a tripod probably 99% of the time. Instead of taking it apart in order to change my composition, I'll use my phone and I'll look around. I'm like, okay, how does that look? How does that look? Okay, you know what? Here's a new spot. And then I can move my gear instead of constantly moving my gear. That, it, it helps in that respect. I think it's a good tool. The best thing, though, too, now with, with cameras is the fact that you have that feedback in the, in the back and you can see what mistakes you're making. I think self-taught photography is quicker now with, with digital cameras or with an iPhone. Wrapping up the photography section here. What if there's one place you'd like to go and shoot? What's on your bucket list to shoot? I'd like to go to Antarctica. The, the only challenge with that, it's not a cheap trip. And it takes a while to get there. Now, I got fairly close because I was down in Chile two years ago and uh, was actually on a road that was translated to uh, the road to the end of the world, which was <laughs> neat. I, I can't remember what it was actually in, in Spanish, but knowing that I was that close to the bottom of the earth uh, was pretty cool. But I'd love to go there. I think it seems very fascinating. Love to go to Peru and hike the Inca Trails to get over to Australia. That's um, in New Zealand. I haven't been there, but... Every time I look at New Zealand, it kind of reminds me of Ireland. But there's still some things in here in the United States. We have an amazing country here, and and there's so much beauty. You're along the East Coast. You have the historical part. You have the wonderful Atlantic Ocean there. We're surrounded by it. And I think that's the most important thing that I think all of us have to remember, which is there's beauty all over the place. You have to find it. How do you start your day? Do you start your day on a negative, or do you start your day on a positive, or finding the positive? And that's the thing I do enjoy about photography. I start the day off on a good note because like, I'm seeing a really cool sunrise or I'm seeing a sailboat over Lake Michigan as the sun is coming up. So it's it's a good way to start your day. So find a positive. That sounds like good advice. Switching gears a little bit. Just want to learn a little bit more about you before we wrap up. When you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? I love putting on music. I have my own playlist, so it runs the gamut. I live in the city now. When I used to live in the burbs, I used to love just putting some wood in a fire pit and just sitting there and looking at the sky and kind of zoning out. Spending time with my dogs is always great. Obviously, my sons are phenomenal, but they're much older now and hanging around with dad is not as cool as it used to be. But the dogs still think I'm cool. But yeah, it's a variety of things. It depends on what's kind of going on in my head. But music is one of those things I kind of go to off. It, it definitely takes you away. You mentioned you're a big VH fan. So am I. Sammy or David Lee? Where, 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 where are you going? Well, don't forget Gary Sharon, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right. I, see, I think the extreme messed me up when I heard more than words. When I, him coming in with more than words. It's just like, God, this is such a loaded question. First of all, I'm an Eddie fan. So I'm at, at one point, I was a fan of all three eras. Mm-hmm. I sure. didn't have any issues. And then Sammy released his book and dumped on Eddie. Yeah. So I got a little irritated with Sammy for quite some time up until recently. And it seemed like he mended his fences with, with Eddie before he passed away. But Hagar doesn't, he can't help himself sometimes. It's all about him. But but guess what? It's also about David Lee Roth as well. There's something about lead singers. Uh, it's something about lead singers. The man or what? Like David huh? Lee with the hair, dance the night away. No, like that. Yeah, he's, he's the ultimate front it, man. It was so much fun. And those concerts were just amazing. And, and then Hagar brought a different component to the band because of his vocal range was much you know broader than Ross. If I was to really say what was better, the Roth years were better because it was raw, it was new, 
There was so much energy. They definitely experimented a lot uh, with their music and they just had an attitude and it was just always fun. If I was to pick from a standpoint of the the total band, it was definitely the Roth era, but I, I am a fan of all three eras. When, when Eddie died, I, I went and got the Best of Both Worlds album. The Greatest Hits of Sammy and Dave, and it's on the playlist. And it's just so much great music there. It's crazy. I have over 1,000 recordings of Van and they're all on my phone. Like how people have the Grateful Dead yeah, legs yeah. and all the other stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm that Van Halen guy who has tons of them. Did you ever see Van Halen live? A bunch of times, yeah. Okay, so I still think the, the best time when a Van Halen concert was on was actually at the beginning before they actually get on the stage. Because all of a sudden the lights go out and there is Eddie just somewhere backstage ripping through. And then eventually Alex gets up on the drums and it's just dark. I, I, I love hearing that. And that's something I miss. Every time I hear about a concert being announced, I'm like, oh, wait, it won't be Van Halen. But those are fun times. Is there a book that has influenced your life or changed your mind more than any other? Yeah. Wait to hear this one. Green Eggs and Ham. Really? How so? Because you keep asking. You have to come up with a variety of creative ways to get someone to go along with your plan, to go along what you're asking for. There are times where I'm like, I, I have an idea for a shot. I have to ask a variety of people, yeah, could I have access to the roof? Can I have access to here? And I will keep finding, looking for the person that will eventually tell me yes and has the authority to say yes. So Green Eggs and Ham is a, a great book for motivation, about persistence, about creativity. And I've read it so many times to my sons when they were growing up that uh, I, at times I feel like I kind of could recite the whole book, but it's so good. Uh, it, Dr. Seuss for the win, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> uh, when you were at your best, what are you doing? I'm at my best. What am I doing? I, I think just finding uh, the positive when there's complete chaos, I'm able to find the light, to find the positive. That's really when I'm at my best because it's really easy to find the negative. You see it on social media. People are just have this knack for constantly wanting to point out what's wrong or a got you. I think that takes no talent. I think the talent and where I think most people are best is when you recognize the positive in people, the positive in the situation, or, or to find the light so people know how to navigate out of a tough situation. That's when I'm, I'm my best. Awesome. How about what's the most exciting project you're working on right now? It's a tough one. Uh, I can't reveal all of it. An established rock band who like my work want a particular type of photo for an album that they have coming out soon. If you recall earlier in the in our discussion here, I mentioned I get up a little bit earlier, so I'm trying to capture that. It's it's a tough project. I feel confident that I'll get there, but I've been trying for a couple of weeks now and haven't won yet. I haven't gotten the shot that I wanted. When do you think something like that you you would reveal? I'm on a little bit of a deadline because they feel like their album will be ready in six weeks. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I was when they called me up, and I'm like, oh, okay, they're doing an album. Okay, that's going to take six months. And they're like, oh, no, we're near the end of it. I'm like, oh. Wow. Yeah. Oh, good luck with that. And, and actually a band uh, I've listened to, they're on my iPhone. And it was funny when they called up, they said, do you know who our band is? I'm like, oh, I know who your band is. I'm not that old. Good luck with that. Your two sons, what values do you try to pass on to your kids? Three words, find your happiness. There's too many people at times miserable out there. 
As a result, they bring others down or they make lives difficult for others. The thing that I keep on reminding them is find your happiness. And a good example of that is my uh, eldest son uh, just moved to Oregon to go work for Nike. And it pains me that uh, he's left Chicago because I'm so used to seeing him on a regular basis. But I know that he's like a fish to water there. He's a big outdoor type of guy. He loves skiing, so he can ski there. He said to me, I know it's sad that I'm leaving. And I said, but I feel happy that you're finding your happiness because I think that's probably where you want to be. Is he the goalie or is he the forward? He's the goalie. Okay. Yeah. He's still talented. He's a data scientist for Nike now. Yeah, he's pretty smart, unlike his dad. (laughs) Real quick about the NHL. How can a team, let's just say in 2009, have the worst record in hockey and wind up with the second pick and James Van Riemsdyk instead of Patrick Kane? How does that happen? It changes the whole franchise around. It's well documented uh, (laughs) that God loves the Blackhawks. And that's why you put the net in there on, on game six in, oh. uh, in Philadelphia and just tore your heart out. My gosh. Um, and that was a happy day for me because then I felt like I could, I'll die in peace knowing the Hawks won a Stanley Cup while I was alive. Little I know that we had two more coming. We had two more coming. I, I remember getting back in touch with you then. And I mean, you had game six, maybe like uh, Jeff Carter, Miami falls down, has the whole net to shoot out, hits him in the helmet. And a couple minutes later in overtime, Kane just floats one in and, pot, and it just trickles through. And he's the only one in the stadium that knows it went in and game over. Oh you know what's God. real funny? Okay, this is a classic example of a Philly fan and a Chicago fan. I don't re- even remember the Niambi thing. But that's something you're not going to forget because that was the, the, your opportunity. The only thing I regret was that I really wanted to go get tickets to, to game six because I, I saw the games here in Chicago, the two games here. And I'm like, it wouldn't be killer if they won it in Philly. And uh, yeah, just one of those moments where I didn't uh, go with my intuition. Just wrapping up here. If you could go back and talk to the people who are around the dinner table, your dad, your mom, your brothers, when you're 10, 12 years old, what would you want to tell them? Wow. I would just say that my dad made the right decision. He created so many opportunities for all of us. And I did tell them to him before he passed away. And we talked a lot. We were very close, but I made sure that the sacrifices and the risks that he took um, has resulted in so many good things. But what's also funny is that I, I remember asking my dad not too long before he passed away is that dad, did you ever thought if we never left Ireland, what, what would have happened? It's very interesting, the choices in life and that can really just turn your, your world around in a completely different direction. And it's happened to me in a big way, three times to move from Ireland to Chicago, hand going through a window, made a career for me in the radio business, breaking my collarbone has made it a, a Great business out of photography. The upside about that is it always gives me faith that things may not start off, but they're going to they'll write themselves out if you have faith. Last question. If you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? Find your happiness. I don't, I, I don't know if I've achieved that. I try to do that. I think it's sometimes as you get older, it's, I think it's tougher because there's more things that get affected. I, I think if I, I wish I would have learned that earlier in life, 
That's why I make sure my sons understand that because then you don't go later in life. Well, I wish I, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, but yeah, find your happiness is so important and just make sure you're doing it without screwing up other people. You do have to be a little mindful of that of how you affect things. So find your happiness. Uh, I think that is about as good a spot to end as any Barry Butler. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the amazing pictures and thank you for sharing your story. Phenomenal stuff. Oh, thanks. If people are looking for you and your work online, where can they find you? I have a website and it's uh, BarryButlerPhotography.com. You can you know purchase images, books, puzzles. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at uh, Barry Butler Photography and on Twitter and Instagram, BarryButler9. I'm technically on TikTok, but since I'm not going to be dancing, I don't think I really will be posting any videos. I think I put a couple of, up there about my dog's. And that's probably where it's going to end. That's where you find me. And, and I really hope that you come and look at my work. I'm proud of it from a standpoint. I, I try to find the show to positive things. There are a lot of warts in my work. I, I'm very critical of my work. There's maybe a handful, maybe seven, eight shots. And then after that, most of the stuff I'm like, oh man, I could have done that better. But I think the spirit, authenticity, and the, the love for my subjects you'll see in my work. And I hope people will check it out. Barry, thank you for your time. It was awesome to catch up and I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thanks for having me.